Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles this evening and you'll join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to go to verse number 8. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to use this as simply a place to begin tonight. I want to talk to you uh, from my heart. And I've just asked the Lord today uh, more than once if he would just help me convey to all of us what I feel like he is speaking into the heart of the church at large. And certainly that would include our church here this evening. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8 very familiar to most. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Now that's scripture taken out of context. If we were just to take a little pen knife and cut that scripture out, lay it on the desk, that just seems very, very dangerous that a man would just uproot his family and his life and just go out not even knowing where he's going. There's some planners here tonight uh, that just the, the sheer thought of that, just you got, you got a little sweat breaking out on your forehead right now because you, you want to know exactly, you want to know exactly. Some people, you, while they're eating breakfast, they decide where they're going to have lunch because they're planners. They're going to think that thing out. Amen. And so I want you to know tonight that Abraham wasn't a man given to whims but he was a man that was given to trusting God. And so with the help of the Lord, I just want to talk for a little while about pressing on. I'm pressing on the upward way. The old song said, I want to press on. God bless you and you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. The emphasis in this passage, of course, is on the promises of God and ultimately his plans for the nation of Israel. The nation began with the call of Abraham and God in that call promised Abraham and Sarah a son. But if, if you know the story, then you certainly understand that, that Abraham and Sarah had to wait more than two decades for that promise to come to fruition. And in truth, it was their son Isaac who became the father of Jacob and Esau. And it was Jacob who really built the nation through the birth of his 12 sons. Nevertheless, it was that patient waiting. It was that man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, that said, we have received a promise from the Lord, and we're indeed going to wait for God. Now, we know in their humanity, they got ahead of God in this process, but the Lord led them and kept them even through their seasons of mistakes. I insert that tonight, not to air their dirty laundry, but I insert that because perhaps each and every one of us have found ourselves in that same position at some point or another. It may have just made a minor adjustment in your walk with God or it could have been a very major thing that happened in our lives when we got ahead of the Lord. But aren't you thankful for the patient hand of God 
who loves us and just reaches through and says, you know, I'm going to restore, I'm going to give back, and I'm thankful. I really do not want to be held hostage by thinking about the mistakes of my past, but I am thankful for the hand of God that has just been there to sustain and uphold me. Perhaps, as it's often been stated, and uh, waiting is a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, it's just not its just not one of my strengths. I, I'm, I'm just like many of you. We live in an instant society, and I think our the culture of which we live, society in which we live, has sort of massaged our way of thinking into wanting it now, wanting it right now. And there's so many things that are instant until how could we be any different? Yet, I believe that true faith in God is that faith that is willing to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes in our life. If I may underline it just one more time, there is a difference between the call of God and the timing of God. God can lay something on our heart to call. God certainly called Joseph as a young man, but there was a, there was a gap between the call upon Joseph's life and where God would ultimately lead Joseph. And, and God knew all along where he was taking him it was Joseph who didn't know where the Lord was taking him. And so I want to just say that tonight one more time to encourage somebody. Don't get discouraged along the way. If you are not where you think you ought to be or want to be this evening, I just want to ask you to have something in your heart tonight that said, Lord, even though I don't see it in my hands, I'm willing to press just a little bit further. Amen. While waiting, we got to also understand the value of obeying. Waiting on God doesn't mean that we just kind of go find a favorite place to sit or park and hang out and we just wait until all the planets line up and everything falls into place. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 11 and 8 that, that by faith, Abraham in that context obeyed. He obeyed. Everything wasn't there that God had promised him would be there but he obeyed. He obeyed when he didn't know where he was going. The Lord said, go, and he just went. And so I'm thankful for those that have the ability to just follow after the power and the presence of God. Even when he didn't have the clarity that perhaps his human desire and ability wanted him to have, he pressed on. He lived in tents. He lived in tents because the scripture said he was a pilgrim and a stranger. I'm just passing through. There's no need for me to look at real estate. There's no need for me to buy property. There's no need for me to pick out any plans to build a home because I am a pilgrim in this world. I'm just passing through. And he knew that God has me in this state of flux. And so I need to be ready to move at a moment's notice. I need to be able to pick up and go when God says go. When the children of Israel were being led to the promised land, we know from scripture that they were led with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we understand, of course, that the nation of Israel was a, a mass group of people. It wasn't just a congregation of people, but it was, there was, it was, this was a mass body of people. And so moving was no simple task. Has anybody here ever moved? Oh, my. Has a way of leaving something in your mind, doesn't it? I can remember when my wife and I first came here, we had been traveling for several years, living in an RV, and 
And so we bought a single wide mobile home and uh, had it out here just to the south of our church here. And we thought, well, I mean, what could be easier, an easier move? Because we're going to pull our RV up against our mobile home and we're going to just put them door to door. And can I tell you that even door to door moving was a task? Because as you unpack things, they swell up. We moved out of an RV into a, uh, I think a 16 by 80 single wide mobile home. And when we moved out of that, I don't know where we had all that. I guess we had it pressure the vacuum sealed. I don't know. Because when we moved in our mobile home, the mobile home seemed to be as full as the RV we had been living in. Moving is a task. It's a chore. And it's not for the faint of heart. And so when the Lord began to move, that cloud began to move. What my point is, is that could not have always been a day of comfort or a day of ease. As a matter of fact, there could have been people in the crowd that said, oh no, not again. But they realized in their heart of hearts that even though this is going to mean packing up the tent and this is going to be loading up all the animals and all of our wares, that we are edging closer and closer to the fulfillment of the promise of God. And so I say that tonight to say this, that it, it, it behooves us not to grow comfortable where we are in the Lord because God may require of us, I need you to step just a little bit closer. And what we need to do is not dread the move as much as anticipate that we are moving closer to the promise that God has laid in our heart. And so we press on. We just press on. Amen. Abraham knew that when I am, am to move, that God has taken me closer to the fulfillment of that that he has promised. Of course, Abraham and Sarah, as it has been often noted, were, were well up in years and they were way past the age of bearing children when the Lord said they were going to have children. But somehow, even though we can read and focus on the fact that Sarah laughed, I, I, I don't think we should be too hard on her about that. We probably snickered about a few things our own self, but somehow they held on to faith that God was going to give them this miracle. Abraham believed and obeyed God when he didn't understand how how God could fulfill the promise of making him the father of many nations. As a matter of fact, none of the patriarchs saw the complete fulfillment of the promises of God. They spoke and they moved and they acted upon what God would had lay on their heart. When we think about some of the things that Isaiah prophesied, when we think about some of the things that Joel said about what was going to happen, we read about the fulfillment. See, we can read about the prophecy and the fulfillment in the same book. We can sit in the same chair and read the entirety, the whole story in totality. We can see the promise and we can see the fulfillment. But can I remind you that when Joel left this earth, he had no idea the, the magnitude and the weight of those words. And so the patriarchs did not see the full fulfillment of God's promises, but they saw from afar off, if I may use the scriptural term, they saw from afar off what the hand of God was doing. Could I challenge us as a church tonight to say that, Lord, I want you to help us move by faith. I don't want to be here because it's Wednesday and just because it's 7.30. I want to be here because I see something far off that just keeps me pressing. It just keeps me moving. Amen. God has given us and laid something upon our heart and so with that we press on. 
A great Scottish preacher once said, the important thing is not what we live in, but the important thing is what we look for. And so it wasn't what Abraham lived in, it was what he was really looking for that made all the difference. I believe these men and women that lived in tents, they lived by faith. They lived in a very temporal housing, but they knew heaven was their home. And that's why generations before us could not be dissuaded, they could not be bought, they would not barter their soul away for this world's good because they clearly understood what this world has to offer is not anything to compare with what God has promised me in my future. And God always fulfills his promises. Either God fulfills them immediately or he fulfills them ultimately. Many people in our world, I believe today, right now, at this very hour, are in the fight of their life. No doubt there are people right here in this service that are facing measures of uncertainty that may perhaps blanket certain areas or maybe many areas of your life. Maybe you've come to a place that you feel like God has promised you, but instead of being able to enjoy the fruits of what you think God has placed in your heart, you're fighting an enemy because he doesn't want to surrender his territory. And so we're thinking this is a little bit anticlimactic that I feel like God has promised he's going to do something, and yet I don't see the fulfillment of that at all. Amen. I want you to understand today that God has promised and God will deliver on his promise. And just because Satan Satan is pulling in the opposite direction doesn't mean that God is not going to stand true to his word and keep hold and keep hold of our hands to carry us all the way to that moment. I've heard it so many times before. I've prayed and instead of things getting better, they're getting worse. I prayed for my lost friends and my lost family. Instead of them softening up, they're getting harder. We've heard those stories. Prayed for a greater anointing. And it seems like I'm less anointed now than I've ever been in my life. Amen. You may be seated. We pray for those things. We ask God for those things. But let me remind you that it, it is the darkest moment of the night is just before the dawn. And that's why I must be focused to keep pressing on. I stand closer now. You stand closer now than we have ever been to inherit the promises that God has given us. And so if the enemy is fighting harder than ever before, it's because he knows that we are closer to our victory than we've ever been. And so I have to remove the idea of turning back. I got to just take that out of my vocabulary. I got to take that out of my thinking. I, I'm, I am confident that I am preaching to people tonight that the day you made up your mind, I'm going to serve God, you threw it all in, you cast it in, and said from this point forward, I've got no, I don't need a rear view mirror because that's not the direction I'm going. I'm going that way. Amen. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to give God every ounce of my life. Amen. And so we gotta, we got to just remove that from our vocabulary. Many years ago, I remember reading an account that seems fitting for this evening. Chuck Yeager was the first man to ever break the sound barrier in an aircraft. At that time, no one really knew for sure whether or not an aircraft or something man-made could exceed the speed of sound. And so the U.S. Army was determined to be the first ones to find out. And so the army had developed a small, uh, as history states, a bullet-shaped vessel um, and it was named the Bell X-1. And so it was the challenge. It was going to challenge the sound barrier. And that's what they had devised and developed. 
A civilian pilot had taken this aircraft uh, to nearly Mach 1. He had taken it to point seven when Jaeger started to fly it. And so when Jaeger got in that plane and became the pilot of that plane, he, stepped, he kept pushing, and he kept pushing the limits. And so finally one day it was 0.8, and then finally one day it was 0.85, and then finally one day 0.9. But he would back off because the plane would just begin at that speed to begin to violently shake, and he was truly unsure of whether or not it would hold together long enough to prove this point. But then the date of October the 15th, 1947 was set to be the day that man would attempt to break the sound barrier. And so as he approached, in, as he sat in that aircraft and got in the air and approached Mach 1, according to his testimony, the plane began to shake, it began to rattle, it rocked from side to side, insomuch that at times he thought it was absolutely going to just explode in midair. But there was something in his heart. I have been to point seven five. I have been to point eight. I have been to point eight five. I've even been to point nine. But there's something about today. We've got to make sure that this is going to work. And today is the day. And so he said, his words, I refuse to turn back now. And so with that, he pressed the throttles forward and headed for the sonic wall. In the account of historic of his historic event recorded in his book, The Right Stuff. The, the author records this. He said the X-1 went through the sonic wall without so much as even a bump. As the speed topped out at, at 1.05, Jaeger had the sensation, he said, of shooting straight through the top of the sky. He said that the sky turned deep purple and then all at once he saw the stars and the moon and oddly enough, the sun at, at all three at the same time. Simply put, Chuck Yeager was looking into space and he had, in a moment of time, not only become the master of the sky, but he chronicled himself in the pages of history. Chuck Yeager achieved a level that no one had ever reached simply because he said, I've come too close to turn back now. I've been here. I've backed up before. I've been closer and I backed up before. I even got closer, but I backed up before. But today, today is the day. It is sink or swim. I just want to speak to the church tonight and tell you that it is the world in which we are living in needs a church that has its mind made up and our feet planted on a rock and we have to have it in our spirit to say it is now. We've been here and backed up. Can somebody preach with me now? We've been here and backed up and we've gone here and backed up but we've got to get something in our spirit that says, Lord, I'm not willing when the world needs the church worse than it's ever needed it. I am not willing to back up. I'm not willing to dial back. I'm not willing to get distracted. I need the spirit of God to let the church say, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. sure seems like we're being shaken and it sure seems like we're being tossed but this is not the time to turn around because I believe that we are as a church locally and globally I believe that we are as a church sitting on the threshold of doing something and experience something something greater than we have ever experienced before 
And I want to be frank with you tonight. I didn't come here as a cheerleader to pep rally us into some false sense of security, but I want to preach to you what I feel down in the crevice of my heart tonight, that God has the church position. And this is not the time to be distracted. This is not the time to turn around. This is not the time to get our focus off on something else, but this is the time to lean in. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, we need to burn the bridges that are behind us because we're not going back. Amen. We need to burn the things that are behind us because we won't be heading back here. We won't be heading back here. Don't stop now. It may seem like all the forces of hell have come out to to attempt and even at times seemingly destroy, but I can't turn back because victory is ahead. I'm not saying that the battle won't be tough and I'm not saying that we don't have to roll up our sleeves. I'm not saying that we're not in for the fight of our lives, but what I am saying is that the victory is worth the price. That's what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, we are troubled on every side. Paul is not up here trying to paint a false picture of anything. He said, we are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And we are at times cast down, but we are not destroyed. Amen. I am thankful for the balanced and practical approach that the apostle Paul had to the church. Amen. We may be shaking, but we are not destroyed. I believe the church at large is is entering into a realm of anointing like we've never known because the world has never been where it is today. And so God is not going to take the mouth of the church. God is not going to wrap the church up and set it in the corner until the storm blows by. God has the church position to be a voice. Amen. God has the church position to be an example. Hallelujah. And so don't be distracted by the shaking. Amen. Just as Chuck Yeager pushed the controls down and don't look back. Sink or swim, we're going for it. Hallelujah. Sink or swim, we are going. Going for it. They're going for it. I believe one of the things that we face in the church today, maybe I'm I'm reticent sometimes to use big words like one of the biggest problems that we face because we face a lot of problems. But I do think that one of the issues that we face in the church today is that we act on what we feel. I'm not being cynical, but it's human nature. We act on feelings. But we, we can't continue to live in that vein of just acting on what we feel. We've got to act on what we know. Because you're not always going to feel, I don't, wanna, I'm not, I don't like to say things for shock value. And so I'm not saying this for shock value. But I will tell you that you're not always going to feel like living for God. You don't always feel like going to church. You don't always feel like praising and worshiping when you get to church. And it's just okay to say amen. It'll probably mean you got a streak of honesty in you. Amen. And so sometimes we feel like throwing our hands up in frustration. And sometimes we feel like giving up in the heat of the battle. Come on, we've all been right there. But what we've got to learn to do is not serve God based on what we feel. I've got to serve God based on what I know. I know his word is true. I know that it is right to worship him. I know that he 
deserves my praise. I know that I can't forsake the assembling of myself. Amen, into the house of God. I know it is right to live for him. And so irrespective of what I feel in my heart, I've got to rise and say, devil, not today. Amen, not today. I've got to put a song in my heart. I've got to put a song in my mouth. Amen, I've got to base my life on what I know and not just what I feel. Hallelujah. If we only went to work on the days we felt like it, <laughs> we would all be woefully unemployed right now because you don't always feel like going to work. But we can't base things that have this much responsibility associated with it on what we feel. We have to base it on what we know. And so we get up and go to work not because of what we feel but because of what we know because we know this. That if the bills don't get paid, I'm not going to have a place to lay down. And if the bills don't get paid, I'm not going to have a car to drive. And if the bills don't get paid, amen? And so our life, our natural life is not predicated upon what we feel. <laughs> there are times you go through seasons in your life you don't feel like eating. People get sick in their body. You don't feel like eating. But you have to eat. Anybody ever ate when you didn't feel like eating? Well, I got out here in Weirdville, didn't I? Nobody wants, nobody wants to talk about that. You're thinking, yeah, I do remember a couple of times. <laughs> Way back. We have to do what we know is right. And so that is why. When you walk into a hospital room and there's a bag hanging up on a post and there's a, a tube running down into a vein is because somebody knows we have got to get sustenance in this body. You may not be able to chew. You may not be able to swallow. You may not be able to do a lot of things, but you can't lay here and die. You got to take something in. You got to take something in. So when you don't feel like it, you got to say, I got to do this because it's the right thing to do. Amen. So if we know in a natural way, we do what we feel, that we do what we know and not what we feel, then in our spiritual lives, we need to base it on the same thing. I'm not here tonight. Amen. You're not here maybe tonight or other times because this is just what you just were warm and fuzzy all over but you know what you said it's Wednesday night for us you said it is Sunday and I'm going to the house of God amen I need it and not only that my family needs it not only that my neighbors need to see me backing out of my driveway they need to see me dressed for church they need to see me with a proverbial Bible under my arm they need to know I'm going to the house of God amen I'll be back in a little while but I'm going to the house of God because we have to move past the feeling stage and get into to the knowing stage. Oh my, I must hurry. I think the clock's running fast on me tonight. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we got to burn bridges that take us back to where we have been and let faith lead us on. I got to make a commitment today that no matter how I feel, no matter how difficult it may be, I can't give up. I can't turn back. I've got to press on. You see, the problem with too many people at times is that they give up too soon right on the verge of God about to do something in their life 
They turn around and go back. And many people get right to the border of that promise and that's where they die. But I just tell you today that I do not want to go down in history as the man that almost did it or the man that almost experienced it. I don't want to go down in history as the man that was standing right there. I don't want God to let it ever be said of me that he was right on the cusp. He was right on the verge. He was standing right there at the opening and the fruition of what he was going to do. I don't want to be that almost man. Paul was witnessing the king Agrippa and as Paul stood before this great man, his words rang with such truth and yet with such authority and power so much so that king Agrippa I'm just going to think in my mind was fighting the spirit of conviction against the words that Paul was saying Amen brother Davis, I don't think I'm out of line to think that, that Agrippa wasn't feeling those words that the spirit of God, I don't think he was just hearing the apostle Paul, I don't think it was just the voice of the apostle Paul but I believe God was speaking to this man and dealing with his heart amen so much that spirit of conviction began to gnaw in his heart and Acts 26 and 28 records these timeless and yet horrifying words almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian Agrippa almost defied the sins of his father Agrippa almost gave his heart to God I say oh Lord help me to not be that almost man help me to not be the almost man. I want to say to us as a church, help us not to be the almost church. We were right there. We were so close and yet we decided to rest on our laurels. I have no idea of what it may have been that lured him back Agrippa, I mean, into taking a neutral position. The Bible really remains silent on just what was going on in his heart. Maybe he thought about the things he would have to give up. Maybe he thought about his position, his friends, his family. Maybe he thought his wealth was on the line and he decided it is not worth me losing everything that I have today just to gain eternal life for tomorrow. Think about that. But can I tell you that you will not give up anything today to live for God that you will not ultimately give up to go to hell. He was, well, I'm just, you know, I don't want to give up doing this. I don't want to, you're, we're going to give that up at some point. Because one day, if, even if the trumpet doesn't sound in your lifetime, one day you're going to breathe your last breath. One day, one day you're going to wake up on your last day. One day. You're ultimately, we all will ultimately give everything up. I realize that sounds bizarre to us reading the story of Agrippa. How could a man stand and feel all of that and yet get up and walk out? But I would suggest to you that it happens week in and week out when people in churches all across our nation and around the world sit here and agonize over what they may have to give up in order for, to fulfill the promise of God in their lives. And so for Agrippa, he turned back into a life of comfort and ease and he almost inherited the greatest gift ever known to man. He almost entered into peace like he had never known. He almost received the power of the Holy Ghost while the Apostle Paul spoke to him about that wonderful gift. But looking back, he found an opportunity to just go back to what is familiar. And in that moment of hesitation, Agrippa went back to what was easy, but he should have followed the plan that God had for his life. The same could be said of Demas, 2 Timothy 4 and 10. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. In the book of Philemon, Paul lists Demas along with Mark and Luke as one of what Paul calls my fellow laborers. I don't think that term should be lost to us. So Paul says 
these men, he lists them in Philemon, as my fellow laborers. Now the reason for the separation of Demas seems uh, perhaps at first glance to be somewhat ambiguous, having loved this present world. That would be one thing if we were able to perhaps leave that statement in a box of its own. If we could just take having loved this present world and set that on a shelf all by itself. But I don't believe that we have the privilege or the opportunity to do that because Paul, in other places, as I mentioned in Philemon, referred to him as a fellow laborer. You with me? And so if he was a fellow laborer, with not only the Apostle Paul, but with, other, but with other disciples, then he would have tasted what Hebrews said, he would have tasted the powers of the world to come. <laughs> so Demas, is, my point is this, is that Demas was not a man that was standing around the edge of something, glancing in casually. Demas was an active part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, a fellow laborer. Actively engaged in ministry, yet despite this privileged position, he's still entangled, at least in heart, with the things of his past. Some biblical historical writers consider that he could have been possibly drawn back to his old traditional ways of religion. There's a, uh, there's a, a broad speculation of that. In other words, Demas was not drawn back into the party life. But he was drawn back into traditions of men religiously. Now we watch that happen to, in the day in which we live. That people have tremendous experiences with God. I would never second guess their experience with God. But somehow they backed away from the fire enough that the pull of the traditions of Men and traditions of yesterday pull them back. Amen. I feel the Lord in what I'm saying here tonight. Amen. In his novel Pilgrim's Process, in his novel Pilgrim's Progress, author John Bunyan pictured Demas as the keeper of the silver mine at the hilt of lucre. Perhaps some then say it was the love of money that enticed Demas back into the world. We may never know for sure. However, it must have broken Paul's heart to see Demas fail so shamefully. But here's the bottom line. It can happen to anyone. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And while they're preparing, I just want to remind you that, that David referring to Saul When Saul fell in death, when David referred to Saul's death in the book of 2 Samuel, let me, let me just kind of draw a line between two thoughts. When Saul died, I think we would all have to agree that he was in a reprobate state. Saul was going to the witch of Endor. You know, I mean, Saul was a reprobate. There's, just, there's no way around that. That's, my, that's half my point. And so 
there's no way around the fact that the man Saul that had been anointed of God and had been mightily used of the Lord was now in a reprobate state of mind. And yet when he died, David said, Oh, how the mighty are fallen. And so I want to always understand and bear in mind that just like Agrippa almost and just like Demas stepped away, if I don't keep pressing, I'm not made out of anything more special than they were made out of. You're not made out of, you don't have anything in your favor they didn't have in their favor. Nothing against you that they didn't have against them. I've got to be diligent. I have got to be sober and serious. Amen. I would hate to see anyone in this church die spiritually so close to the border and I would hate to see this church body miss out on what God has for us because we just gave up too soon and said you know we're comfortable and let's not let's not rock the boat I would hate to see anybody in this church including myself become that almost man I believe God has taken the church at large to a realm that it has never occupied before and so the devil's fighting everything within his power to stop the church amen I know we've heard this so often until it's almost almost falling on deaf ears, but please bear with me. Did you ever think in America that we'd see church doors closed at the demand of the government? We're in a little protected pocket here for the moment. But I have been in meetings in recent weeks with pastors in California that are not in a protected pocket. Amen. The devil is trying everything he can to stop the church. This is not the time to lean back. This is not the time to let somebody else do the praying. This is not time to try to peer over the wall and and let the devil distract you from the real purpose of God Amen, amen. Somebody may ask, how can I continue to press forward with all the adversity that I have against me? Perhaps I could summarize it by simply stating this. I've watched people through the years who just simply refuse to give up. (laughs) I'm telling you, they just pressed on. Wow. They just pressed on through some seasons where it just seemed like they would break. And here's what I learned from that. For them, it was in the pressing that they found sweet victory in their personal life. It was in the pressing. It was just, they just kept walking on. They found that God truly does come through and they found that he really is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. As recent as this very morning, I was talking to a dear friend that recently suffered a tremendous loss of her companion of decades. And in the course of our conversation, she said, after stating many things that she has encountered, she said, but you know, I just feel compelled to tell you that I'm really doing well. She said, of course I have my bad days. And of course, 
There are days that I feel lost, but she said, the peace of God in my heart and in my mind and my home has been so evident. And when she said that, my mind rushed to that passage of Scripture where the Scripture says of his spirit that it's a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. And it was from that well of experience she went to draw her water day by day. By day, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I end with this. I end with this. A new young bank president made an appointment to meet with his soon-to-retire predecessor. He sat down across the executive desk of the man that he was soon to replace, and he said, "I just need to get some advice from you about." my new responsibilities coming up as the new president of this bank. So he said, I've just really got one specific question to ask you. He said, I want to know how you, as a real regal leader in this world, how you became so successful. His predecessor looked at him and with just two words he said, good decisions. The young man, wanting more detail, pressed further. And he said, well, how do you come to make such good decisions? With one word, he said, experience. <laughs> the young banker continued his line of questioning. This is by no means going his way. Asking how one could gain experience to which his predecessor with two words answered, bad decisions. <laughs> there are those in this room tonight that can say amen. There have been times we stopped when we should have kept walking. Sometimes we kept walking when we should have stopped. And we learn through all of that. You know many in this building. I have time and experience on my side tonight many of you in this building know what I'm preaching is true that the key is pressing on no fanfare you know I, I'm not trying to belabor the issue you may find this hard to believe but I've never participated in no not one marathon race no, not one. But we are often privy to those pictures at the ending of that race. Sidewalks full. Fans cheering. You can make it. You can make it. What we don't see out of the view of the camera are all of those miles when no one was there. No one, no one was saying, come on now. No one was there with a cup of cool water to hey, say, here, you just cool your parched throat. They ran miles with no camera. They ran miles with no media. Furthermore, what the camera didn't pick up or even the events of that day were the days and the weeks and the months and even years dedicated where they ran alone. They ran alone. Can I tell you tonight that in this building are men and women 
that could raise their hand and say, I've ran a few miles alone, not without God. That's not what I'm talking about. But I ran a few miles alone when no one was there to say, you're doing a good job. You can make it. Everything's going to be all right. Because you weren't basing it on what you felt. You were basing it on what you knew. I've got to keep pressing. I've got to keep pressing. Boy, I feel the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's magnify Him today. Let's love the Lord, can we? Thank you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.